This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. We're here with Warren professors Kevin Warbuck and Nico Cornell to talk about their paper on smart contracts called Contracts Ex Machina, which literally means contracts from a machine. The question they tackled was this. Could smart contracts one day replace the contract law system? They say no, and they're here to discuss why they think smart contracts aren't that smart yet. So let me start by asking you to define smart contracts. What are they? And can you give us examples of how they work? Kevin? A smart contract is an agreement in digital form that's self-executing and self-enforcing. So think about it. Let's say that I want to bet Nico about who's going to win the Super Bowl. I think the Eagles are going to win the Super Bowl. And so we bet $100. Now, just assume for a moment that it's a legal transaction. We're in Las Vegas or someplace where you can make a sports bet. So uh, end of the season comes along. The Eagles don't win the Super Bowl because, of course, they never do. Uh, And Nico comes to me and says, okay, where's my $100? Uh, If it's a normal contract, I might say, well, I was just kidding. Or, well, actually, I don't have the money. Um, He might have to go into court to sue me to enforce the contract. With a smart contract, we could do that same agreement digitally in a way that the moment the Super Bowl happens and it's clear who won – the contract is automatically enforced. The money gets transferred. There's no party, neither of us uh, nor even someone else in the middle, an intermediary that makes the decision. The contract is just automatically enforced. Uh, and it can be applied, this approach of self, uh, smart contracts, to any kind of agreement. So, uh, so many things are contracts. The uh, rental agreement uh, that you might use for a home, your employment agreement, um, your, your business transactions in a company, purchases. Um, smart contracts, in theory, could take any of those uh, and make them automatically enforceable. So how are they different from, say, online agreements that we agree to when we sign up for Facebook or LinkedIn or when we set up auto pay for our monthly bills? That's something we uh, are very used to. In the paper, we talk about four different categories of increasingly decentralized and increasingly automated uh, contracts. The first is uh, what you describe, we'd call just an electronic agreement. So you um, go to any website that you sign up for, you click a button, and uh, there's a link there, and you can see typically an incredibly long and detailed contract that no one ever reads. But that's a human-readable contract. It's the same contract you could get on paper. It just happens to be on a screen. And you're just using the electronic mechanism to agree to the contract. Um, One step from that uh, is um, what uh, a guy named Harry Surden, who's a law professor at uh, Colorado, calls a data-oriented contract. So let's now put the terms of the contract in machine-readable form which limits what we can do in that contract, but we can do it in ways that computers can at least understand what it means to say $100 or what it means to say purchase this share of stock or something. The next step is what certain calls a computable contract. So now we're at the point where the machines, the computer systems can, to some extent, process and enforce the contract. But there's still the fallback of the legal system if something goes wrong. A smart contract, though, in theory at least, takes away the legal system entirely. Now there is nothing but that digital agreement. That's the entirety of the relationship uh, and everything from the negotiating of the agreement all the way to the full enforcement and clearing of the agreement happens digitally. So, Nico, why are people excited about smart contracts? What are its benefits? 
Um, I'd say that there are two primary reasons people are excited. Um, the first is about gains in efficiency. So anytime you can automate a process and remove the human element, uh, then there's the possibility of really transformative increases in sort of efficiency and reliability. Uh, so just think about what computerization has done for other areas of our life. Uh, second, people are also excited about the possibility of removing human institutions, and in particular government institutions, from an important function that they currently play. So right now, contracts depend on a legal system administered by a government, and this requires trust in a coercive and fallible authority. Um, so for the same reason that Bitcoin enthusiasts are excited about the prospect of currency without a government, uh, smart contract enthusiasts are excited about the prospect of contracts without a government-run legal system. So are smart contracts legally enforceable? And how can one get legal relief after the contract is automatically executed? Yeah, so we think that the answer is yes. The smart contracts are legally enforceable. There's no reason to think one ma can't make a contract in computer code um, or electronically. Um, and we've been doing that for um, quite a long time now. There's a little bit of a complication because we normally think of contracts as agreements that are intended to be legally enforceable, and smart contracts are, by their nature, uh, not required, uh, uh, um, require, intended not to be um, uh, legally enforced. But we still think that they're changing the rights and obligations between the parties, and uh, that's the important thing for um, something to be a contract in the, the legal sense. How can one get relief afterwards? Um, there's a bunch of legal mechanisms to reverse transactions or disgorge wrongfully obtained funds, um, but these are legally, structurally quite different and um, potentially more difficult. So by making, reversing who stands as plaintiff and who's trying to um, legally in, um, change the situation, um, we really do end up uh, shifting the, com uh, the sort of complexion of the legal dispute that might arise. Yeah, if I could jump in, this is a good example of partly what got us as legal scholars and uh, professors interested in this. Smart contracts are a technical innovation, um, and the uh, enthusiasts, a lot of the engineers say, well, this has nothing to do with the legal system and legal enforcement. And the reality is it actually forces us to take a closer look at just what the legal system does as we'll get into it and creates all these kinds of fascinating new issues. So in your paper, you list some limitations of smart contracts. What are they? Yeah, so uh, you know, if you read uh, a lot of the breathless pronouncements, smart contracts have basically solved the problem of contract law. We no longer need uh, the legal system or government, as Nico talked about. We don't have any uncertainty anymore because it's automatically enforced. Well, it's, of course, not that simple. So two broad classes of challenges that we talk about in the paper. Uh, one is a set of, of legal doctrinal issues. So contract law has all sorts of requirements. For example, uh, we can't make an illegal contract. I talked about the betting contract before. Um, let's say we have a contract to kill my mother-in-law. No court's going to enforce that. It's an illegal contract, even if we might write it down and sign it and seal it and so forth. Um, there are other limitations. For example, a contract has to have what's called consideration. Someone has to give you something in return for the promise. Contracts can't be unconscionable and so on and so forth. And it turns out if you go through all of these legal doctrines and say, well, how does that apply in a system where, again, the contract just enforces itself on this distributed network with no one making a decision in the middle, um, you get lots of confusion and lots of problems. So that's the doctrinal issues. Then there are a huge set of practical issues. So the reality is, even though we think machines can render contracts effectively, there are lots of situations where they can't. 
Some of those are situations that are fairly obvious, where, for example, if a contract says something like, you'll use best efforts, frequently used in uh, human contracts, what does that actually mean? How do you reduce that to computer code? But even things that seem simpler to apply, uh, it turns out that uh, people can't necessarily foresee what's going to happen in the future. So when you put it in that automatically executed digital form and just let the machine run, uh, it creates all sorts of problems uh, and situations we're already starting to see. The the final thing is um, when people negotiate a contract in real life, a traditional contract, there's still the possibility they can renegotiate it. Maybe at this point in time, we do a deal and we're certain we want it to be enforced, but then a month later, things change and we both say, all right, no, it's in our mutual interest to change the contract or maybe even to get out of the contract entirely because things have changed. The smart contract isn't smart enough to do that unless the parties build into the smart contract code at the beginning the possibility for that modification. So those are just a few examples of the kinds of problems that come up. And I think you also mentioned in your paper um, the presence of software bugs. And we all know the uh, we all have experienced computer errors whenever we, we log into our computers and Certainly, smart contracts are not an exception. Absolutely. And there's a whole range of situations uh, from the classic kind of bug to things that are uncertain where, um, you know, humans intended one thing in the contract, um, but uh, the machines interpreted a different way or they can't distinguish what people really intended, even if the language seems clear. One of the functions that courts provide in the regular legal system in contract enforcement is you can get testimony. You can interpret and look at the terms of the agreement um, and figure out what it really meant. And there was a specific example you had in your paper uh, about the Ethereum uh, blockchain. And can you tell us what happened there? Yeah, this is a fascinating example. This is something called the DAO or DAO, uh, which stands for Distributed Autonomous Organization. Uh, so it was a virtual crowdfunding system, a uh, platform like um, Kickstarter, where people contributed uh, currency, in this case cryptocurrency, the virtual currency of Ethereum called Ether. People put up about $150 million worth of Ether in the current value at the time into this system. And the idea is then they would be able to vote on projects that would get funded and so forth. Someone found a bug in the code. They were able to exploit the code in a way that they could siphon off about 60 million of that ether into their own DAO, and then they were going to be able to then just take it and, and use it for whatever and convert it into other currencies. The problem is that according to the code of the system, it was a legitimate transaction. Again, the only way to know that that was theft and not a real transaction, was for a human to look at it. The machines had no way of knowing. So in order to fix that problem, not to have people lose $60 million that they had put up, the developers of Ethereum had to basically break the whole system, not just the DAO, all of Ethereum. They had to do what's called a hard fork to basically make it that the transactions had never happened. And that potentially undermines the whole point of smart contracts and of these blockchain systems, which is the notion of immutable distributed trust. That's very interesting. Uh, Nico, you say that smart contracts are both committing to something in the future and yet not exactly making a promise either. Can you explain that? Yeah. So there's um, – you can think of there being two ways that you can make a commitment. Um, so imagine I say, I'll meet you at the bottom of the hill. I promise. That's one way of making a commitment, and it um, binds me by creating a certain kind of obligation. A different way uh, is I might say, I'll meet you at the bottom of the hill and then just throw myself tumbling down the hill. Um, that's also committing myself to seeing you at the bottom, but it's a, a different way of doing so. Um, it's a little more blunt. It may be more efficient, but it, it, 
it's not exactly a promise, um, and it, it serves a very different function. Um, so, I mean, that's a rough analogy, but um, uh, I think there's uh, the commitment in smart contracts is more like that and less like the promise. Kevin, do you have any other thoughts? No, we, we talk about in the paper um, different notions of what contract law actually means. And this is partly, again, why this is really interesting to us as scholars, um, that smart contracts force us to reexamine just what, what's contract law actually doing? Um, and, you know, is it basically prospectively creating new rights or is it retrospectively, uh, as we argue, uh, creating a mechanism for remediation when something goes wrong? And uh, even though that, you know, we're, we're looking at what's in existing contract law, smart contract actually help us unpack that. And so what, what do you think are like maybe the best applications of smart contracts if you see the, there are limitations to this vehicle? Yeah, it's um, hard to say exactly because the potential of this technology is so broad. Um, and uh, certainly uh, situations where it's easier to implement the agreements in digital form. So the, the initial use of smart contracts is for Bitcoin. Uh, and Bitcoin is very strictly limited in what you can do with smart contracts. It allows you to basically transfer Bitcoin back and forth uh, using the smart contract mechanism to enforce that. Um, and it's tightly limited. These newer smart contract uh, platforms open up a tremendous amount of new possibility. But that also leads to more things that can go wrong. So um, really, I think what we need to see is development of best practices, development of things like templates, um, ways to basically create hybrid where you can actually build into the smart contract. For example, I talked about the opportunity to renegotiate or potentially the opportunity to bring in dispute resolution, whether through a formal court or a more informal, say, arbitration mechanism. So given all the shortcomings of smart contracts as well as its benefits, what role do you see them playing and how can we make them better? Yeah, it's it's hard to say. I mean, I think I think the reason that we're we're stumbling is that um, the opportunity here is just immense. Uh, and, and contracts are everywhere in the world today, everywhere in our life, and especially in, in the digital world, where almost every interaction is a contract. Um, you know, we, we clearly are going to see smart contracts get used more and more widely. Um, and so it's really less a question of um, deciding wh what segment of human activity smart contracts will be used for, um, but more thinking about how they can be implemented in a way that's sensible, um, that addresses these kinds of issues, and that, that understands the legal system still plays a vital and valuable role. And if what we want is the thing that the legal system does, the thing that courts do relatively effectively, let's still use that mechanism. There's no reason to get rid of it. If what we want, though, is something different, we want that uh, definitive commitment, what Nico was talking about, um, then smart contracts are great. And we're just at the early stages of figuring out how those things get divided. Do you have anything to add, Nico? Um, no, just to follow up on what Kevin was saying about the, the different ways of thinking about contract law, I think smart contracts are an important way of um, or access point for understanding what contract a law does for us. Um, a lot of people think the point of contract law is just to make sure that people actually do what they say they're going to do, or they see it as a mechanism to ensure that people uh, either um, perform or pay some sort of damages. Um, and if you think of contract law in this way as just a mechanism to ensure a certain kind of result, uh, then smart contracts will look like they can serve this function and maybe serve it more efficiently. Um, but this all assumes that the point is to ensure a certain kind of result takes place. Um, if uh, um, what we want to do is uh, regard our transactions ex post and think not about creating repercussions, but 
uh, adjudicating retrospectively what happened, what went wrong, and um, how are we going to fix it, um, then it seems like smart contracts are just not designed to, to serve that function, and that's what we want the legal system to do. Well, that's all very interesting. Thank you so much for joining us today. I guess we'll see what happens. Absolutely. Thanks for having us. Thank you. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.